stocks are so powerful that they turned that random cameo dude from Iron Man 2 into the richest man in the world. Hello and welcome to the Noob Investing Podcast, Episode 2, Hashtag Stonks and ETFs. I'm your host, Jaron, and today we're going to discuss the topic of stocks and exchange-traded exchange funds, or ETFs for short. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to quickly come back to the exceptionally stupid mis- math mistakes I made in Episode 1, where I somehow managed to turn 110 plus 11 into 120. Sorry about that. I obviously misspoke. Maths are hard and quick maths apparently are even harder, I guess. So it's obviously uh, supposed to be 121, but I didn't catch that uh, very simple math mistake uh, until I was busy editing the podcasts, uh, since I'm still obviously uh, optimizing my podcast workflow. So won't happen again, I promise you that. I also realized that uh, after I was uh, editing everything that I failed on my promise to provide useful resources and links. So for that, I'm also sorry, and I will add them at the end of this episode. So with that PSA out of the way, let's get started uh, then, shall we? Once again, just so we are clear though, I am not a financial advisor. Nothing I say in this podcast should be regarded regarded as financial advice. And honestly, I'm literally telling you in the name of the, this episode that I'm a noob investor when it comes to investing. So if you decide to invest in anything I talk about, then you have no one but yourself to blame. So dear listeners, if you listen to episode one, then you probably know I thus far have only invested in stocks and a bit in ETFs. Uh, and the content of today's episode will be focused as much on e- on stocks and ETFs as my portfolio is sort of focused on them. And also as there is content to discuss on them, actually. Uh, as you will see sh- shortly, there really isn't that much to discuss on ETFs. Uh, as there is on stocks, but we'll get into that. In short, what I want to talk about today is uh, what stocks actually are, how they work to generate value, uh, what are strategies people use to pick stocks, and what are the risks associated with investing in stocks. And regarding ETFs, basically, I just want to talk about what they are, why they're, and why they're essentially good for many, if not most, uh, average investors or even noob investors. So let's start with stocks. Stocks are that thing that made Elon Musk the richest man in the world for a few seconds. And yes, indeed, dear listeners, stocks are so powerful that they turned that random cameo dude from Iron Man 2 into the richest man in the world. So just imagine what it could do for you. But seriously, though, stocks represent shares of a company or in other words, ownership of a company. Essentially, how it works is that a private company decides to go public through what is called an initial public offering or an IPO. Through this IPO, A company raises capital or money to grow and expand the business by selling partial ownership of the company to the public. In doing so, uh, people like you and I can buy up shares of that company, thus making us partial owners of the company. Usually, the number of shares issued by a company range between hundreds of thousands to millions to even billions in the case of really large companies like, for example, Apple. The number of shares outstanding along with the price per share of a company determine that company's market capitalization or market cap. Market cap simply refers to the total public value of the company. In addition, addition, evaluating the market cap of a company also serves to help investors compare the size 
of individual businesses, for example, a company like Apple, with its over $2 trillion market cap, is more than 10 times the size of a company like McDonald's with a market cap of under $160 billion. As you can see, different companies can have very different market caps, and when discussing the size of a company, investors can classify companies based on their market caps for ease of comparison. Companies can be classified into either nano, micro, small, mid, large, or mega cap companies. It's important to note here that even if a company is a mega cap company, the price of the individual shares can still be rather affordable. Take again as an example Apple with a share price of around 120-ish, but a number of outstanding shares in the 15 billion. So quite a, quite a lot. While Amazon, on the other hand, has a market cap of 1.55 trillion, so less than Apple, but has fewer outstanding shares. So the price of its shares are in the $3,000 to $3,300 per share. So much different prices for each share then. In short, when determining whether to buy a stock, don't just look at the price of the stock, but also the outstanding share, and therefore also the market cap to get an idea about the size of the company that you're buying. If you want to know more about market cap of any company, you can just Google it, actually. Or you can look it up uh, on different investing sites that I will provide links for at the end of the cast. So now you know how stocks come to be, what they represent, and how they relate to the company. Great. But you are probably wondering, okay, but why are stocks a good investment? Why do they generate value? Well, simply put, a stock doesn't actually generate value, but the underlying company of which you are an owner of does. For a company to be successful, it needs to generate profits. It needs to provide goods and services, and as an owner of that company, you are entitled to the profits that the company makes. So let's have a quick, quick look at an example. Say you buy the stock of company A, which currently can sell 100 products for a total of $100, and manages to keep, let's say, $50 as profit. Now, given that the technology advances and the company has money left over to hire more people and buy new equipment and overall just become more efficient and bigger, you would expect either that company A can generate more products next year or reduce the cost of generating products and have more money left over at the end of the year. All of this contributes to making the company worth more over time as the company continues to scale and become more profitable because of this then the stock price also goes up as more people realize how ownership of company A is valuable. This is, however, this example that I just provide is how stocks, how stock prices increase, at least for companies that are still growing. Alternatively, you also have companies that are essentially kind of done growing, so they don't really reinvest the money that they make into themselves, but instead they opt to pay a portion of that profit that they make to the investors. Uh, and this comes in the form of dividends. Simply put, the company will pay you to own its shares. That's what it comes down to. Uh, since you are a shareholder and therefore an owner of the company, you are legally entitled to a portion of the profits that the company makes, which gets paid per share in the form of dividends. For right now, I think that's all I'm really going to say uh, regarding dividends, as there really is more to discuss on it. So those are the ways stocks generate you value. But now you face the daunting task of choosing which stocks to invest in. This is an, this is an incredibly difficult process, uh, especially as there are a variety of ways uh, to evaluate a company and whether it is a good investment or not. 
I doubt anyone wants me to have a deep dive into a discounted free cash flow formula or a fundamental analysis right now, because each of those probably deserves an entire episode on their own. And I promise you I will get to them, but these are just some of the methods uh, analysts and also uh, investors use to, well, evaluate, uh, evaluate companies. Additionally, you also have people who just, well, unfortunately, just blindly trust what professional analysts and investors post online, often without knowing anything about the company in question. This last method, I definitely would not recommend anyone doing, as many times the advice hasn't really factored in either the latest news of the company or the analysts or analysts have to evaluate many companies, so they often perform some superficial analysis of the company to arrive at their conclusion. So it's never, it's potentially not really the best analysis of a company. And also it's going to be very awkward uh, when you have to explain the reason you lost money on your investment is because some random person's blog that you read online told you it was a great investment and you just, you know, believed it, you know, just doesn't look great for you overall. But you know, why would random online person lie to me about an investment you might ask? Well, it doesn't help that for many analysts, at least professional analysts, they're monetarily incentivized to convince you that a specific stock that they bought is amazing. Because if they do, then, well, you know, they're professional analysts, then that gives you confidence that it's a good buy, so you will go buy it. And that then increases the price for price of the stock. And since they got in earlier than you, it was probably lower back then. So, you know, they're making profits on convincing you to buy the stock at a higher price. They may also have other complex derivatives involving the stock in question that benefits them if the price goes in a specific direction. So, of course, uh, they are incentivized to convince you either to buy it or sell the stock uh, with their post. Either way, it's all these reasons and some more that I just that I don't just buy whatever an analyst recommends online. You should be very skeptical of those uh, those in general. That being said, though, it can still be very useful to compare your notes uh, and calculations and ideas about a company or a stock with those of analysts just to see if you don't have any blind spots in your analysis of a stock, but also to determine how confident you feel in your analysis. You know, if you f- don't really feel super confident, then any any sign of bad news might probably make you doubt uh, quite a bit about your investment and, you know, try to sell it as soon as possible. The last thing you want then is to invest in an individual stock, uh, just to be unsure about your investment. So much so that if Elon Musk were to tweet something, you know, you'd already consider selling out of the stock, you know, lots of people tend to do this for Tesla, or at least they used to more. So with that said, that's why everyone, I would say, do your own research. And if you're going to invest in individual stocks, be sure you know it, and be sure you feel confident in it. I think it's also important, though, to mention that there is also a big difference between the stock price and the value of the associated company. To quote the arguably undisputed greatest investor in history, Warren Buffett, price is what you pay and value is what you get. What he means by this is that there can be a huge discrepancy between the stock price and the actual value of the company. And while we have clear access to what the stock price is at any given moment, We can only estimate and try to reason what the underlying value of the company actually is. Ideally, what you want as an investor is to buy a stock once you think that the value of the company is higher than is reflected right now in the stock price. So just keep that in mind if you are considering purchasing individual shares. I think for me, the example that best illustrates the big difference that there can be in price versus value was Microsoft. In the early 2000s, everyone was 
buying up Microsoft, so much so that the price went up a lot, much more than the value of the actual business at the time. But the problem was one, no one was that no one was actually uh, willing to sell out of it. So for more than 10 years, the, the stock price of Microsoft literally stood still and did, not, and did nothing, which completely defeats the purpose of investing that money to begin with. In a way, people had stored their money into Microsoft thinking it was a great investment and basically behave, and basically just behaved like a bank for more than 10 years. So that's obviously not what you want because you're not getting any return on your investment. But yes, this is something that can happen if you don't take into account the actual value of the business that you're investing in. You could massively overpay for a stock and either see it go down afterwards or stay still for a long time and... Yeah, that's why it's important to try and find the actual value of the company and buy companies that have better value than their stock price is reflecting. So now, listeners, it's time for some obligatory public service announcement that investing in individual stocks is very risky. As was hinted at earlier, you could overpay and the price drops and then you are sad. Very sad. Also, since you are investing in stocks of a company, it is very possible that the company goes broke, you know? and you lose all your investment. I would say this risk is less likely nowadays, but since the start of COVID, more and more companies, especially in the tourism sector that haven't had any revenue and may not survive actually until the end of COVID, those seem in particular risk to uh, have to go into bankruptcy. So those might not be the best investments uh, as, as we don't know exactly when COVID will be over. And if those companies have enough cash stored up to survive till then. Can you even imagine being the CEO of an airline company during COVID? Just imagine having to tell the shareholders. So no one is traveling and we still have all these planes to maintain and people to pay and stuff we already paid for. So this quarter slash year, we're kind of minus a couple million, maybe billion dollars. Yeah, it's certainly possible. That's definitely not a not what you want. And I'm still surprised that there are people who sort of just see these companies go down and immediately like, yep, they're undervalued. Let's buy those. But never even bothered looking at how much debt they have or whether or not they'll actually even survive the COVID pandemic. So, you know, those are the risks you can take. Yes, it, the company is probably undervalued right now, but if it doesn't survive till the end of COVID, then you bought a very shitty company. So it's certainly possible that you might invest in a company that won't be around for so long that so long. So keep that in mind before you invest in, I don't know, say Air France KLM, for example. Granted, if you invest in KLM, given COVID and the fact that it has never been a well-performing stock or a company in general and has a ton of debt, yeah, you might not be very cut out for in investing in individual stocks, I'm afraid. So please reconsider your life choices at that point. But coming back to the different risks involving in, involved in uh, investing in, in individual stocks, I would be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't mention that whatever company you invest in, there is no guarantee that they won't just fail to keep up or even beat their uh, competitors. Or that they are ex extremely dependent on something and if that one thing goes wrong, the entire company will suffer quite hard. I think a good example of failing to keep compete with yeah, their competitors would be IBM or Intel. They used to be some of the largest well-performing tech companies in the world in the last couple of years, but since then 
they haven't really been doing well. They've just been getting their asses handed to them by every other tech company in the, sort of that 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 space. So yeah, maybe they're they are uh, undervalued right now. But if they just keep losing to their competitors and losing market uh, ground in everything that they do to their competitors, like for example, Apple. Apple used to be dependent on Intel for the microchips. Now Apple can make their own microchips that are way better than anything Intel makes. So therefore, Intel just lost one of its biggest customers and lost ground in the microchip sector. Not great. But yeah, some people will still invest in it thinking, yeah, it's been around forever. It must be a good investment. So those are the risks you can take. And of course, in some cases, unless you are an expert in the product or service that a company provides and have insight into exactly how well they are performing and how well their competitors are performing, it's very difficult to say if your company will fall behind or stay ahead of the curve. I say difficult, but not impossible. The company releases its letters to the shareholder uh, where they provide you, well, provide you, the investor, information on what they are up to and uh, what they're doing every quarter. And in their an- also in their annual reports, they inform you of how well things have been doing and how well things are working. So while you don't need to know every last detail, for example, of a microchip or a company that makes microchip microchips, it helps to know who the competitors of the company that you're looking to invest in are and how well received the, are the products of the company you invest in and or their, their services they provide. Just keep in mind, though, if you check out the annual reports or share, shareholder letters, shareholder letters, Jesus, uh, of the company, just keep in mind that they always try to paint it a little rosier than it actually is. They always, you know, try to put their best foot forward and present everything like they're actually doing super well, even though it might not have been, you know, the best year. Yeah, so just be critical of that if you try to find out some more risks and how well in general the company has been doing that last year uh, by reading the reports. Lastly, for the last bit of risk uh, associated with inv- investing in individual stocks, there are also some very specific company risks that may also be related to the sector that the company is in. One example would be, for example, would be that instead of going for electric vehicles, as we as people end up moving toward we as a people might end up moving more towards hydrogen-powered vehicles instead. And this can dramatically affect many EV companies such as Tesla and NIO since they provide, well, EVs, electric vehicles. Granted, I'm not exactly sure what the current state of a hydrogen-powered vehicle actually is and what exactly are the benefits of a hydrogen-powered vehicle over an electric vehicle. In my mind, I hold this notion that it seems less safe than yeah, an electric vehicle because you you know you're logging around extremely flammable hydrogen. It's less efficient because you need to carry around hydrogen as fuel instead of just energy. And there needs to be hydrogen stations set up to tank your car, which also seems risky and requires a lot more setup than yeah, well, an electric vehicle, which just requires electricity. But those are just my concerns regarding, for example, the hydrogen vehicles that I haven't had really a good chance to look at, into yet. But this tangent aside, sector or company-specific risks exist. So the EV market can be displaced by the hydrogen market. Should we move to that instead? Or should it be better in some way than the electric vehicles? So keep that in mind. But not, if, you, if you didn't really consider, it, uh, consider these risks before, a good place to find out in, 
more risk uh, to the to a specific company that you're interested in investing in is actually those shareholder letters or shareholder letters and annual reports because there they go into detail of each risk the company faces and even some that you probably didn't even consider at first but they're very well aware of since you know they have to deal with it on a daily basis in terms of risk to a company there are always going to be things that the company itself didn't take into account or no one actually even expected to happen at all these are sort of referred to as black swan events uh, which is something yeah no one could have predicted like covid for example which may drastically impact your investment and that's why when you, it comes to investing the one of the best things you can actually do to invest is to diversify your portfolio so you can minimize the risk so for example say company a has a really bad year well luckily you also invested in company b which is having an amazing year uh, to still hold up your portfolio uh, bring up the performance of your portfolio at the end i'm not going to get into exactly how diversified is diversified enough for your portfolio because that really just depends on you and your own risk tolerance some people don't diversify at all and seem to go all you know go full ham on one investment like tesla or tesla stocks or bitcoin um, while others invest as diversified as possible across etfs bonds and other assets as specific uh, assets as specific weight for them for each of them and every year check on those assets and try to rebalance their portfolio uh the the weights of each of those assets in their portfolio so they you know don't aren't exposed to too much risk uh, from any one asset so but the, those are essentially the two kinds of extremes either full on uh, all my money in one all my money on red or all my money across kind of everything i will say it's good to diversify in general just because investing is inherently risky so there's absolutely no need to make it more risky than it already is if you can avoid it and especially it's been shown that by diversifying you know it just spreads your it just spreads your risk but doesn't really affect your profits all that much so that about does it for stocks at least for right now i think obviously there's way more to dive into with the evaluations of stocks and different orders you can place for purchasing stocks and also different derivatives of stocks but i think this at least helps you get the gist of some of the fundamental concepts regarding stocks. You know, you can definitely talk to people who know stocks. You now know a little bit of stocks. Now, dear listeners, let's move on to stocks's less sexy cousin, ETFs. ETF stands for exchange traded funds. And these are in simple terms, essentially just a goodie bag of various stocks that you can buy in one neat little product called an ETF. Basically, how it works is that a broker, like, for example, the one that I use, the Hero, offers several you know, different ETFs, which can range from, well, they can be, they can essentially range from hundred, several hundred to several thousand stocks that you can buy, usually for a low price with far fewer transaction costs than you would need if you were to try and buy each stock in that ETF separately. ETFs can also range, well, essentially since an ETF offers such a wide variety of different stocks in sort of that goodie bag, ETFs can range quite a bit in terms of what they actually offer or what they actually focus on. An ETF can range from stocks from a specific country, like say the USA or China or, I don't know, Israel. Uh, in addition to that, the stocks that an ETF focuses on can also uh, be specific to one sector, say, I don't know, artificial intelligence or 
electric vehicles or sort of just green energy in general, to name, uh, to name some sectors. But in addition to that, you also have ETFs that focus on uh, stocks of a certain market cap. So for example, we talked about different market caps associated uh, to companies like large, mega, small. So it could be then that you have ETFs that focus specifically on companies of a certain cap. So ETFs can still be quite varied, you know, even though they hold a lot of things, they can still be, they can vary quite a bit, even though in their specific theme. But what the goal of an ETF is, is that it provides you, the investor, with a sort of pre-made diversified portfolio with just one simple product that you also don't have to manage or put time in to learn. What is amazing about an ETF is that it, the more the more general ones, or like the S&P 500, which is an ETF that focuses on the top 500 companies in the US, or uh, another ETF that I mentioned earlier in episode one, the Vanguard All World ETF, which holds over 3,300 stocks from companies around the world, are quite diversified and their performance essentially just follows the market. So in the case of the S&P 500, as long as the US stock market is doing okay, so will the S&P 500 since it tracks that performance. And same goes for the all-world ETF, which also tracks stocks around the world. So as long as essentially the global market is doing okay, so will that ETF. So why did I say earlier that ETFs are the less sexy cousin of stocks? Well, it's because they are so, well, goddamn simple, really, that there really isn't that much to discuss on them. Like I said, they are a goodie bag of stocks, so they come pre-diversified for you. They are affordable and their performance is quite stable. It's historically been shown that ETFs have an average performance of around 7% each year. And they are also less volatile than individual stocks. Just for illustration, when COVID started, many individual stocks crashed by at least 40%, if not more, while ETFs went down as much as 20 to 30%, so less than that individual stock. So yeah, in short, I would say ETFs are a safer investment option than individual stocks. It requires less expertise and they're more affordable and they are just more affordable in general. So if you don't want to spend a ton of time picking individual stocks or worrying about the volatility of the market, I would say an ETF is probably what you're looking for. In general, ETFs are a great financial product for many people and probably the best way for many people to yeah, get started with investing. So if you're a noob investor, I would, while I'm not allowed to recommend you anything, I would probably recommend you an ETF. So with that said, what is the reason some people don't just invest in, you know, all their money in ETFs and call it a day, right? Well, it's because they, they just track the market and earn 7% interest. So if you want to earn more, so you can, for example, in my case, retire earlier, you potentially either need to earn more money through your work and and so you can invest more money uh, at a younger age and thus retire accounting with a, accounting for a 7% interest every year or you need to get well somehow higher interest rates which you know aren't really possible since an ETF like the S&P 500 or the All World uh, ETF only provide about a 7% interest rate every year on average yeah so another drawback of investing in an ETF is well it essentially is also one of the benefits is that it doesn't require really any studying or learning on your part. So in general, people who do invest mainly or essentially only in ETFs don't really have that much insight onto on how to value companies or 
what the latest developments are in different sectors or what are the factors leading to shifts in the stock market. So they are kind of flying blind in that sense. But this isn't really that much of a big deal as long as you remain disciplined with your investing. You trust the market as well as are satisfied with that 7% interest that you gain every year from it for, well, the relatively low amount of effort that you have to put into for those gains. So overall, it's still just good. It's just if you have a specific goal, an ETF might not be able to reach it in your specific time frame with that 7% interest rate every year. So that's the only main reason I would say some people would like myself would invest in individual stocks. And last bit of information on the ETFs before I forget is that even though they are a goodie bag of stocks, they can also still pay you dividends, especially if there are, well, well, specifically if there are dividend paying companies in the ETF. And lastly, if you, if you dear listeners uh, wish to invest in ETFs, I would strongly recommend using the hero as they have a large list of ETFs that once per month you can buy, buy from at zero transaction cost. Zero, zero euros transaction cost. So that's pretty great. In fact, I would probably take, in that, it, take advantage of that if I was looking to invest in ETFs and if I were you. Again, not investing advice though. Just if you were looking already to invest in ETF, that's probably how I would do it. Uh, so yeah, ETFs are come pre-diversified. They're cheaper usually, more stable and provide a decent yearly interest with as close to zero transaction cost as it gets. So if you're considering testing the waters with investing, this might be the noob-friendly way of doing it, since, since you're still learning a bit. So you can still, you can get busy having time and compound interest working for you while still learning more and more about investing. And that's actually how I got started. I also invested in ETF at the beginning. I did take sort of a riskier investment, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in a future episode. Uh, but I did also invest in the all-world uh, ETF as well. So quite pleased with that. I mean, it's doing okay, all things considered. So that brings us to the end of the cast. I hope this episode has provided you with some useful information regarding stocks and ETFs. Uh, there's still so much out there that I just couldn't fit all in one episode. Hell, people have written entire books on the stock market and picking stocks, so you know, there's a lot out there. But before I call it a day and go to bed, as promised, I have some links for you you want to learn more about stocks and ETFs and then here they are. So obviously where can you buy stocks and ETFs? I would recommend using the Hero. I have some good experience with the Hero. It's my uh, broker of choice. And yeah, every, like I said, every month they allow you to buy from uh, their li assorted list of ETFs uh, with zero transaction costs, which is great because that really adds up over the next 40 years if every time you had to pay 50 cents to two euros for a transaction, you know, that adds up. So the hero, good way, good way to start to get started with investing. In addition, if you want some more information regarding some investing investment specific terms, I would recommend Investopedia. It's a general good source for information regarding different uh, investing terms. And you can look up some information there. There are articles there as well. So quite useful. I've, I've read quite a bit on uh, that site. In addition to those, you also have other sites that provide you information about stocks. I normally go to TradingView and Motley Fool for this. Uh, they also tend to write articles about which stocks they they see growing uh, immensely in the next couple months, years. I don't take those too seriously, but, you know, go to get some inspiration. You know, you don't know every company out there if you're looking to invest in stocks. Having some inspiration from these sites 
to get you going, to get you reading up on companies is always good, I would say. Furthermore, I also have, there is also Yahoo Finance and MSN Money. These tend to be great aggregates of uh, financial uh, information and annual reports. So if you want to look up, say, for example, Apple and how their revenues have been since, I don't know, let's say 2017, 2016, uh, you can kind of find that all neatly on Yahoo Finance, their revenues, their profits, their balance sheet, everything like that. So yeah, quite useful, I would say. I use Yahoo Finance mostly quite a lot. Not so much my MSN money, but it's also some, a tool you can use. So while I specifically warned you about not 100% uh, trusting uh, analyses of people that you find online, I will recommend simply Wall Street, specifically the free version of this, because it lets you very quickly get an, o an overall overview of a company that you're interested in investing in. And they also provide yeah, analysis of this company, how the financial health is of the company, uh, how its future is, how fast it's growing, whether or not it pays dividends, these kinds of things. So yeah, it's a good overall tool for getting a feel for a company very quickly. Right now, I can sort of view five free, comp uh, five free companies every month. Uh, and yeah, you can also pay for the, ver the unlimited version, but that gets expensive quite quickly. So I stick to five companies a month. And honestly, there's no way you should be investing in five new companies every month uh, or more, you know? So it's more that once you've narrowed down which companies you're interested in, that you also double check and you've already done some quite a bit of research that you double check it with Simply Wall Street, see maybe if you missed something, you know? So yeah, I definitely recommend Simply Wall Street for, you know, just an added source to double check with. In addition to that, Seeking Alpha, it's somewhat in between, say, like a Yahoo Finance and a Simply Wall Street. It sort of provides both the aggregate information that Yahoo Finance and MSN Money would provide, but it also adds sort of recommendations in some in some cases and articles from writers uh, on tools. So it also touches on what Motley Fool uh, sort of does uh, a bit. I don't use Seeking Alpha all that much, but it is useful every now and then. And lastly, if you want to talk to me personally or with our listeners of the cast, you can also join the Facebook group called The Noob Investors. Looking forward to seeing you all there uh, and talking to you and meeting you all. So with that said, everyone, thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Can't wait to find out uh, in editing what dumb stuff I said this time, though. Uh, yeah, so bye, everyone. And thanks again. And peace. Peace.